So I recently read this really nerdy thing online that we rewatch old shows or movies because they develop a predictable emotional response in us. That is, our body knows what to expect when we rewatch a childhood or classic favorite, or we binge our latest Netflix love. And so when we encounter these stressful situations or we just need a little bit of predictability, our brains know exactly where to find it. And they tell us to seek out the one thing that can create the emotional response that we need. In light of that fun, nerdy fact, I wanna confess something that many of you never knew about me, and it's this. I am a huge fan of Lifetime movies. I'm talking those cheesy, it turns out the neighbor, the coach, the cheer captain, the doctor, the popular girl and the debutante is a murderer movies. To be honest, the cheesier the better. When I'm stressed and I need to watch something or I have to do some work and I need something on in the background that's predictable, I reach for a solid lifetime stream. I love them so much that almost every time I watch them and the ad comes on, I actually consider subscribing to Lifetime Movie Network so that I can stream all my favorites whenever I want to. Now, nobody would ever say that these movies are well-made. The acting is almost always terrible. The plot lines are entirely predictable. The script is often so cheesy that it's a little bit cringy. And the same actors are often used in different roles across the Lifetime universe, which makes it very confusing when the murderer in one movie turns out to be the good guy in another movie. I clearly don't have cinematic expertise to only seek out excellently produced films. But today we're continuing with our Whatever series. And over the past four weeks, pastors Chris and Dan have been walking our church through the Philippians filter, the set of principles for what we consume that comes straight from Philippians 4.8. And at this point, you can probably say the verse with me from memory. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Chris and Dan have done a great job of talking about consuming media that's true and just and pure. And today I'm excited to talk about jumping in to media that's excellent. And in order to do that, it's really important that we understand one thing, and it's this, excellence is more than just well-produced. And if you're taking notes with us this morning, there's a place to write that down in your notes. Excellence is more than just well-produced. When we think about excellent media choices today, we tend to think about cinematic masterpieces, songs that have been expertly produced to have the beat drop at the exact right moment, movies that hold this list of nominations for Emmy Awards and Oscar Awards and Independent Film Awards, and TV shows that feature incredible actors and dialogue and sets like my favorite that just came on to Netflix, Seinfeld. But what Paul is giving us here is not an instruction to only pursue that which has been carefully curated to include the best produced elements. He's not saying only seek out the things that are so well put together and, and carefully researched, things that are beautifully written. What Paul is actually doing here is he's listing these aims that would have been widely understood by his audience to mirror the language that was being presented by the Greek moralist of the day. 
the philosophers of Paul's time that were attempting to instruct this society that wanted to pursue the good life, that wanted to live a life that was filled with purpose and contentment and happiness and philosophical assent. They wanted to be both deep thinkers, but also deep livers. So excellence is a virtue, it's not an accomplishment. If we want to be people who think on and pursue and watch and consume that which is excellent, we aren't just looking for media that's been produced really well, it's been directed well, that's written well, that's sung well, or even that's acted well. We want to look for media that contains this sense of arete, which is the Greek word that Paul uses here for excellence. And the philosophical minds of that day also used that word to mean a virtue, something that contained a taste of moral excellence. That changes things, doesn't it? The way excellence was understood when Paul was writing then is not the same way that excellence is understood when we're reading now. In order to understand how philosophers understood excellence or arete, we actually have to turn to Aristotle and we have to zoom out from one of his oft-quoted lines. Aristotle once said this, he says, excellence, arete, it is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we have acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but it's a habit. In short, excellence is not an easy endeavor or a box we can simply check and feel accomplished in it, but it's a process by which we are continually formed for moral good by what we do and by what we choose. Virtues are developed through time and consistency. That sounds like a discipleship journey, doesn't it? You see, we've been invited on this journey with Jesus to choose this path of discipleship of continually choosing what's best over what's just good, of being people of discernment, of carefully considering our lives and the ways that we've been called to live into our salvation in ways that make a real difference in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors near and far. We are invited to walk, albeit imperfectly at times, in wisdom in every area of our lives to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to rely on the words of scripture as our moral standard and to press into authentic, vulnerable, real, accountable community so that we can continue to be more and more like the king that we follow. In fact, one of the only other places in scripture where this specific Greek word, arete, is used, Peter writes this about the process of intentional discipleship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 10. Peter writes this. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory, and excellence, arete, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and his very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Or through Christ, the lion's share of the work is done. No pun intended to my fellow Narnia nerds. And we've been redeemed from corruption and ignorance in order to experience the glory and the arete, the moral excellence, the virtue of Christ himself. Because this work has already been done, Peter writes this as instructions. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with arete, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You see, because we have been redeemed first, we are called to put into practice the reality of our redemption by walking in intentional discipleship in every area of our lives, including the media we consume. You see, on top of our faith, our allegiance to God alone, we're called to pursue moral excellence. And on top of that, to add in knowledge and wisdom. And on top of that, to practice control over ourselves and what comes into and out of our lives. To stand strong in the midst of suffering and challenges, to pursue living lives that reflect what it means to be made in God's image and to be redeemed people and to care for one another and finally to love one another deeply. You see, the gospel tells us what we have been saved from, but it also tells us what we have been saved for. To put it another way, the good news of the gospel is not just that we've been saved, but that God is redeeming and saving all things and inviting us to be a part of that process. It's us and God and our neighbor and our world and all of creation being constantly redeemed and formed for goodness. And when our lives are being transformed and renewed by that reality, the response of this grateful heart and this understanding and joyous heart is to pursue the things of God. Peter tells us that if these qualities that he's listed are in us and if they are increasing, if we're making intentional choices to pursue those things day after day in bigger amounts, that we'll be both effective and we'll be fruitful in our Christ-centered life the development of ourselves internally by what we choose and what we consume will show itself externally. Here's a hard truth. Being a passive consumer of media is not real. As much as we like to think that we don't absorb messages or themes or ideas or language, our internal worlds are shaped by external sources. James K.A. Smith, who's a modern theologian, once wrote a book called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power 
of habit. And in this book, he writes about the subtle ways in which we are daily being discipled by things that are not Jesus. He says, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which are habits we've acquired through the practices that we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and my desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a thing that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. So then he says this, he says, learning virtue, arete, this moral excellence, becoming virtuous, becoming morally excellent is more like practicing scales on a piano than learning music theory. The goal is, in a sense, for your fingers to learn the scales so they can play them naturally, as it were. Learning here, it's not information acquisition. It's more like inscribing something into the very fiber of your being. We become what we repeatedly consume. So our consumption has to be intentional. As someone who really likes food, I have to acknowledge that my consumption of breadsticks in the Bethel cafeteria every day isn't a healthy choice. And so I can't just passively keep consuming and not think that will catch up with me. I have to make an intentional choice to consume more salads, even if that choice might feel really hard at first. Likewise, if I'm repeatedly consuming media that's leading me to act in ways that don't reflect the reality of my salvation and my call to be a light, that aren't filled with moral excellence, that don't reflect the fact that I've been called to be a kingdom bearer and a representative of Christ in this world, I have to make an intentional switch. Think for a moment. How often have we thought that our consumption of media that isn't morally excellent is passive, only to find ourselves talking like or acting like or thinking like the characters or the artists we repeatedly consume? You see, in addition to being a big fan of Lifetime movies, I'm a really big fan of late 90s, early 2000s rap. There's something about that era of rap and R&B that takes me right back to the middle school gym in a really good way. So for a long time, my entire workout playlist was full of artists that reflected that season of rap and R&B. And it would be easy to dismiss my consumption of that playlist by saying it had a really good beat for lifting weights or it reminded me of playing basketball in the early morning at the Rose Valeria Middle School gym or it was just some throwbacks from the good old days until I caught myself listening to the lyrics one day. And I realized these were lyrics that weren't full of moral excellence. These were lyrics that I couldn't support the way they talked about other image bearers. They were lyrics I would feel uncomfortable with my students repeating. They were lyrics that without me realizing were being repeated day in and day out into my brain. They were shaping and forming me in unconscious ways. You see, our brains are far more moldable than we give them credit. The good news is, is that if our brains can be poorly formed by media that is less than morally excellent and virtuous, we can take intentional steps to reform our brains, or as scripture puts it, to renew our 
minds. Praise God that we have brains that don't have to remain stuck. This begins with an honest reflection. The first question is this, what are you consuming? The next time you open Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora or Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you use, the next time you open your laptop and you go to your favorite news site or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, or the next time you turn on the TV, I want to invite you to watch it with a more discerning eye and to think a little bit more critically and honestly about what you're consuming. Does it contain moral excellence? Does it elevate the image of other image bearers? Does it talk kindly and honestly and openly and vulnerably? Is it media that actually forms us more and more into the image of Christ? What are you consuming? And then once you've identified what you're consuming, I want to invite you to answer a question that one of my mentors often asked me. It's this, how is that working out for you? I mean, what's the actual results of what you're being formed by? Is it shaping you to be more like Christ or is it making you more irritable and unhappy? Do you find yourself after consuming it, desiring things that you know aren't healthy for you or for your relationships? Does it form you into a friend or spouse or coworker or family member that's able to sacrificially love the person in front of you? Or does it make you more me-centered? Does it elevate the image of God in another person or does it desecrate the sacred worth of other image bearers? You see, if we can be formed by media away from arete, from moral excellence, we can intentionally choose to reshape our minds for arete, for moral excellence. And after you've done those last two things, I want to invite you to do something that's really hard but really important. It's to remove any media that isn't morally excellent and to intentionally replace the time that you would spend on that. You see, those two things working in tandem are important. If we remove but we don't replace, it's much easier for us to fall into old habits. But if we remove and we replace, we start to rebuild patterns in our brain and we start to be able to create predictable emotional responses that our brain seeks out not for things that don't fill our minds with moral excellence, but for things that do and that intentionally shape us and form us to the life of Jesus. I want to invite you to practice what we're calling in the series, the first 15 and the final few. The first 15 is this, spend your first 15 minutes of the day in scripture and prayer. Now I need you to know I'm an avid tweeter and so the first thing I tend to do in the mornings is I turn off my alarm and I open Twitter and before I know it, 15 minutes has passed and I fired out a few tweets that may or may not actually be funny. But what if instead, instead of telling ourselves we're just turning off our alarm and then switching over to Netflix or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, what if instead of picking up our phones and the first thing we do in the morning, consuming media, what if we shifted those first 15 minutes into something that is supremely excellent that will actually shape and form our brains for the better? See, one way that I've done this in the past is by using this app that you can download in the app store called The First Five. It's actually this app that contains an alarm. 
So once you turn off your alarm for the morning in the app, it automatically takes you to scripture and to devotional thoughts. Whatever it might be for you, maybe it's setting your alarm and having your Bible right next to your phone so that you can engage in that. Maybe it's choosing a devotional or a journaling type of thought where you can respond to scripture and having that be the first thing that you see in the morning when you roll over to turn off your alarm. Maybe it's putting scripture in your alarm so that when you turn off your alarm, it directs you to a passage of scripture that you can read and reflect on in the morning. Whatever it looks like, spend your first 15 minutes of the day in prayer and in scripture, consuming perhaps the only media we can get our hands on that is supremely morally excellent. And then when you round out your day, instead of turning to the emotional comfort of your favorite show or Lifetime movie, engage in the final few. End each day by reflecting on your day and praying over situations you faced or situations you might face the next day. Maybe even think critically about what you encountered during the day. What maybe without you even noticing was discipling or shaping you more towards or farther away from the image of Christ. And reflect on what you could do the next day to continue to pursue things that are morally excellent. We're invited to be formed for excellence to be morally shaped in such a way that our lives actually make a real difference in the world around us, that what we consume reflects the reality of what we proclaim, that what we consume elevates other image bearers, that what we consume contains moral excellence that shapes us more and more into being the types of neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends that can actually bring light to really difficult situations to continually shape us and form us into being people that more and more are walking in the way of Jesus for the glory of God's name and for our neighbor's good. And so let's pursue excellence in what we consume so that what comes out of our lives can be excellent. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you continually call us and call us and call us back into relationship with you, God, back to being formed by you. We're so grateful, God, that you have called imperfect people to be your image bearers and your light bringers in this world. God, help to bring to mind for us in this moment media we consume that we need to let go of in order to make space for that which is truly morally excellent. God, help us to watch things with a discerning eye, not to be legalistic, but to love you more and more. So be with us in that big endeavor. Name we pray. Amen.